0: So, if you're visiting with us or new, uh, we are looking at uh, the book of First Peter, and we've come to uh, an interesting passage, and I want to take you into that and beyond uh, because I think it's really relevant. Um, let me let me start with this kind of illustration, though. If you start looking at our world, you'll start to see that there are riots. There are uprisings. there are massive protests all over our world if you go If you go to the Netherlands or to Brussels or to france there 's thousands and thousands even this, this weekend gathering protesting what the governments are doing about our, about their farmers and and the farm community and all of those things the the fertilizer and all those kind of things if, if you uh, If you went to uh, Uh, Brazil, you would find that there's all kinds of people uh, rioting and complaining about what would seem to be a rigged election, a man who had been put in jail, was brought out of jail and and won by a, a hair, literally, and many of the people feel it was fixed. If you go to israel there's protests all over the place about about the the new prime minister and and how he 's moving them away from to, to, into a totalitarian state um, if, if you if you if you go to the ukraine and 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 then Russia we see that Conflict that's been going on for an, a year now. And, and the problem is, many people are talking about how outside nations, outside those two, are, are keeping putting their fingers in and dabbling with. And, and the literal result is thousands and thousands of Ukrainian soldiers and Russian soldiers have died. We could go on, we could talk about the Canadian truckers, we could talk about Taiwan and, and China, we, we could talk about protests that are happening even in Washington D.C. C. about anti-riots. There's a theme though. There's a growing theme and it's, it, it probably has always been here, but I, I've in the last couple of years I've become very aware of what that theme is and it's a dissatisfaction with governments. There, there seems, and, and I may be wrong here, but there seems to be a, a movement, in especially dem, democracies, a movement away from um, democracies and the people speaking and all of that to almost a totalitarian state where it doesn't matter what the constitution says we're going to do what we want it doesn't matter it doesn't matter uh, what the rules are we we're, we're going to break them and and talk about no consequences and 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 it just keeps going on more and more and more and and there's almost become in our culture this hypersensitivity on both sides that we need to support our our, our leadership and the choices they make and no they've got to start make, being accountable and and most of us if not all of us have been caught somewhere in the middle trying to figure out how to respond. I want to talk today, today about politics. I want to talk today about government. Now, some of you have been brought up in in, in, in churches that say, well, churches shouldn't talk about that. Actually, that's a f- secular theo- secular theology that years ago especially in Canada sl- slipped in that said that we need to separate and, and the church has no voice in the culture and the co- culture will just leave the, the Christians alone as long as it's just individual I don't know if you know the history of even the Baptist church or, or many other denominations but they left Europe and came to the new world for what we call freedom of religion. That we could talk together and share together and worship together in the way the Lord has taught us to do that. You'll hear conversations about things like separation of church and state. And all this discussion just keeps going. I think in the last three years, especially with the COVID and the lockdowns and, and, and all those kind of things that, that, that took place, you will hear lots of discussion of what should be done or what couldn't be done or, or what shouldn't be done and all of those kind of things. And, 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 and there's a division started to happen all over our world. How do we respond? More specifically, how does the Christian respond? What, 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 is it, what is it we are called to be and to do? Now, I, I, I like listening to other preachers preach. And so as I've listened to other preachers preach, I've, I've heard them talk about this. And, and what disturbs me is, is on one hand, they, they, they'll start in a passage and then kind of flip off into theology, ignoring what the passage says. Others will, will start in a passage and then they'll go the opposite way. They'll, they'll dive into politics and examples and, and never ask the question, so what does the Bible say? Now, I literally come to you this morning with fear and trepidation. Because this is a hard topic for us to wrestle with. And so how do we find some answers of response? Now, let me, let me say this right away. Um, by the time I'm finished, you won't be satisfied. Okay? Let's, just, let, let's get that up front. But the question is, where do we go to find out, as a Christian, with our culture changing and rapidly, well, how, what do we do and how do we, how do we respond? And the place I want to take you this morning is two places. The first is you heard Dick read Romans chapter 13, and this is the passage everybody quotes. This is the passage everybody talks about that, 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 that that's the, the bottom line of, of how you should respond. But there's a second passage. And a passage that we've come to this morning that we need to seriously look at. Now I'm going to try to blend these two together to to, to summarize some things together so that you have you have a, a grasp of, of of what the biblical teachers are saying. But I want you to notice something. Both of these men um, stood up and spoke to kings and governors and magistrates and religious leaders and all of that for their faith. Both of these men were put in jail repeatedly. Both of these men were beaten because of their faith repeatedly. And eventually, both of these men would die as, a mar- as martyrs killed by the state. So I, I think they've got some insight <laughs> into how we are to wrestle with now, a footnote is that these both grew up in what we would call a totalitarian state or a dictatorship. Caesar was in charge, and only Caesar was in charge, and if you didn't agree with Caesar, Caesar then Caesar would put you to death. There's, there's a, pu- even as we read 1 Peter chapter 2, there's a persecution coming, a violent, vicious persecution as, as, as he, as, as Nero, tries to scapegoat the Christian church. But even knowing this and having experienced their, their suffering, here's the interesting part. Peter and Paul, and, and, and Paul speak to the topic. Now, I want to I focus more today on Peter because I think he has some insights for you and I that may be helpful if you have your Bibles, I want you to listen to a couple of his words. Paul has about 10 verses that are key. Peter has only about seven. Listen to these words. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Dear friends, I warn you as a temporary resident or foreigner to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing something wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authorities, whether the king is as head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable li- your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. So the question I started to wrestle with, and I've been wrestling with this for months and months, well, years maybe, is how am I as a Christian to respond? Now, actually, (laughs) if you're visiting with us, this isn't quite an intense sermon compared to maybe some of the others, but actually, as I started to look at it, I needed to develop a framework so let me, let me take you and give you some history, some backgrounds, so that you understand the framework of how God sees this world and how God has set up that which is happening. In Genesis chapter 4, he establishes what we call the first institution, the family. Father, mother, Children. Then, as you continue through the book of Genesis, and and it's debated when that actually begins, you will see a new institution talked about called the government. Now, the government had a couple characteristics to it it was an area, it was what we would call a nation or a country, it had citizens, they had leaders. And there, there was laws and rules. Now, there's different ways of choosing leaders. Some just took over. Others were brought in because of acclamation. But here's what's interesting. Both Paul and, 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 and Peter call this an institution, something God has created. He also creates a second institution or a third institution that we have different names for. I, I put the broad title, Faith in God. Now let me make a comment. These institutions are made and designed by God to function on their own. They have their own authority and accountability before God. As, as a father, I have authority and accountability to, as a husband and as a, as a father. Um, the government have authority and accountability too, and so does the church. What's interesting is that we're living in a culture right now that especially the government is trying to break into and take over these other institutions. I don't know if you know some of the movements that are out, but one of the movements is that the government wants control of your children. They want want through the courts to take it so that as a parent, you don't have authority over your own children. And I can give you numerous examples of that. But over the years, there's also been a time when the opposite—the government has tried to move into the church. And sometimes church leaders have done the opposite, using the state to punish other Christians they didn't like. And so these institutions, whenever you step over the boundaries, creates problem. But Peter wants us to focus on this faith in God group. Because as you and I studied last week, Peter started introducing something rather fascinating. You see, if you if you continue through the book of Exodus, you'll, you'll see the children of Israel move to Mount Sinai. And at Sinai, several things happen. This nation that was kind of ragtag, that had one leader, Moses, and, and, and all that, came together under Sinai. And God brought the Ten Commandments and the laws together and also... What we would call, using our word, a church, the tabernacle was built. Out of that would also come a group called the Levites. And they would become the royal priesthood or the priesthood doing sacrifices and worship and all of those kind of things. As you go to David, the tabernacle, would wore out because of old age, was replaced from being a tent to a building, immaculate, amazing temple under Solomon. Herod would develop that. And as the time of Christ, it would become this massive, beautiful building that was, was created. But Peter focuses beyond that. Because last week, as we started to look, Peter starts talking about this church. And that's the, the new name that we, you and I use all the time. This, this house of God that, 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 that has been gathered and put together. Last week, we talked about how, how this house of God was founded on a cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and that every believer, you and I, were living stones, that's the expression used, and built into a holy, sacred house. And we were also given a title of royal priesthood, God's children, the king's kids, and servants of, or ministers of Jesus Christ. Now, as as you and I hold that, I I want to take you even more deeply into this because Peter does this strange thing that Paul actually doesn't do. Peter starts to emphasize this fact that this group, this church, was made up of strangers in this world. He will repeat this three times. He'll start his epistle that way, saying "God's elect strangers in this world. He will later on in, in the first chapter talk about it again, who live lives as strangers here. And, 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 and then as he enters this passage, he will talk about us being aliens or foreigners or people from other lands. What, what's he trying to communicate? He's saying that as, as you and I became Christians... Several things happened. Christ became our cornerstone, our solid rock. We entered the Christian church, this living house of God, and, and that we became representatives of who our Lord is to this world. Our citizenship was put into heaven. We, we, we were strangers here because our citizenship and our king and our Lord was there. It's kind of like you and I are foreigners now in this land, wandering around. Paul would add to this and use these languages, saying you guys are citizens of heaven and ambassadors of Christ. Now, let me play with this for a minute because I believe this is significant as we wrestle with this topic. I, my family on my mother's side moved into Canada in the 1500s to Nova Scotia, a long time ago. I have lots of generations of Canadians. I, I, my families are all been citizens of Canada. I love Canada, except I'm no longer a spiritual system, uh, citizen of Canada. I'm a citizen of heaven. Father God is my king. Jesus Christ is my king. And he rules over me. I don't know if you're a movie watcher, some of you are movie watchers, but, but here's, here's the reality with this. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie where a policeman there's this really fancy, expensive Cadillac or, 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 or uh, limousine, and it gets stopped for speeding or something, and the police pulls it over and comes to the and, and says, "I'm going to give you a ticket." And the guy says, "Well, you can give me a ticket, but I don't have to pay it." And the guy says, "Why, why do you not have to pay it? Well, because I'm an ambassador. We, we, we're not governed by your laws oh, or i remember reading a book about iran when the iran revolution took place and 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 muslims were killing christians as much as they could one of the things people would do is run to an, an embassy because the moment that you stepped onto that embassy ground you were of in another land it was protected. It, and so people would, I, I remember reading stories of people escaping and, and trying to get into the embassy because then they were safe. I want you to hear this. You are in the house of God. That is the embassy. Jesus is our king far away. Our citizenship is far away. And we are strangers. We are visitors. We are former, foreigners. We are ambassadors in this land. Peter establishes this before he talks about government. He does it on purpose. And and he's starting to to try to communicate to you and I that we have to live that way when it comes to that government dynamic that we're facing. So what does that mean? Well, the first question I started to ask myself is, so what's a government for? Well, we, we could break it down into a positive and negative, both in Paul's writing and in Peter's writing. In, in, in both of them, they, it's almost like they're reading off the same manuscript. They, they first of all say, say uh, if you're a good citizen, if you're an honorable citizen, you will obey your government, you will be a good citizen, you'll care for the poor, you'll, you'll love your neighbor, all of those things. And if you do that your nation your nation's leaders will commend you because you're obedient out of your free will. On the other hand, there are those who break laws. And 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 they they will they will do what is wrong. And because of that, they will be punished or considered rebels or criminals and they'll be they'll be arrested, they'll be put in prison, some even be executed. Paul uses the term of the sword and what he meant by that is what we would call capital punishment and so the government on these two sides is given this what we would call authority interestingly established by god and and so so we need to understand that 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 this is the job of government to protect those who are good to punish those who are evil or, or, or breaking God's laws. Now, if you look at that, you stand back and say, it's pretty generic, isn't it? Exactly. For this structure f- functions in any culture, and Peter and Paul would have been aware that, yeah, there are dictatorships, but there are other places, like in the, some of the Greek cultures, where, where the city ruled together and they voted in their people, all that kind of... And, and so, But this job description, this um, principle applies to any government at all. Caesar could have taken Peter's manuscript and read it and said, oh, yeah, that is what we do. We punish the criminals and we... We, we bless the, the citizens. But I want you to hear this. This is a principle. This is a principle, an ideal, a job description. And you will know this, and I will know this, that that isn't always what governments do. But let's start with the ideal. So if, if that's true, how are we to respond to a government? What, what does it mean to be a good citizen? Well, Paul talks about paying your taxes. If you owe, pay it back. Don't don't ever because that finances your taxes. Pay the salaries of the leaders. He said repeatedly to teach uh, treat them with respect and honor. Now I want you to hold those words because we're going to revisit these words in a while. To keep the laws interesting when Paul is talking in Romans 13 about keeping the laws, he says talks about taxes and then he starts listing four of the Old Testament Ten Commandments. Um, actually, if you have the King James Bible, he lists five, but the four that he lists, you, you look at them and some of them you'll say, well, that's the job of the government. Yeah, but those, that's more personal, which this is something for you to wrestle with. Our government has set out laws. We could maybe say even the Constitution. And and then he says, in Timothy, he says, make sure you pray for your leaders. Are you praying for your leaders? That's what a good citizen is supposed to do. Now, if, if you've been wrestling with this like I've been wrestling with this, as soon as you see this, you think, yeah, but... Do I have to obey everything they tell me to do? Is is that the job description? That whatever they say, however they they want me to act, I'm supposed to do that. In the last couple of years, we've had leadership in our country change some pretty major things. For instance, I, I, I remember the first time I noticed started to notice was they started to talk about Islamophobia which they never defined, and it kind of made up the word, and that you can't pick on an Islam, a Muslim. You can't pick on someone who believes in the religion of Islam. It's interesting they wouldn't put Christian there, too. In fact, in North America, U.S., Canada, one of the things we started with is freedom of religion, that, that the government could never dictate our religion. But suddenly we're told... This is a special group. Then the issue of marriage. A, a, a definition of husband and wife and marriage, which has been in our world for, centuries, for thousands of years, in thousands of different cultures. Suddenly they decided they could redefine. And gay marriage was brought in. Then things started to shift even more about um, things about homosexuality, for instance, that you could convert from a, a, a person who was drawn to the opposite sex to a person drawn to the same sex, and, and and they could convert that way. But a therapist or a pastor could never ask them to go the opposite way; it's against the law. Then there's language, transgender language. In fact, there's the definition of transgender, the idea that the Bible says there's God created a man and a woman and suddenly our world is talking about this spectrum even though there's no evidence of that. And suddenly you and I are living in a world that's like, how do we respond? How do we, what do we do as Christians? Just say, good, this is great because we're supposed to obey the government? Well, most of you know that's not true. In, in fact, I could take you, and I've just got a couple of examples, I could take you throughout scripture where godly, mature, Bible taught believers said to the government, We will not do it. We, we are disobeying you. We, we, you may say we're supposed to do this, but we won't do this. It starts in the book of Exodus where, where Pharaoh says, I want you to kill the boys the Jewish boys, and the midwives said, no, we're not going to do that. In fact, they they intentionally lied to Pharaoh to protect these newborn children. So the government said one thing. The believers said, no, don't do it. Then you jump into Daniel, and Daniel's really kind of fascinating to watch because there's some stories that we will jump in and say, oh, yeah, I'm for that. And others like, Starts off with Daniel one, and and the king's tables laid before them, and it was yummy. But it wasn't Jewish food; it was considered unclean. Now, who was Daniel? He was just a young kid. He 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 had just come. Several hundred miles from Israel, in chains, and and they thought he had some abilities and he had some royal blood, and and well, maybe he could become one of our governors. We'll 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 turn him into a eunuch, which probably is what they did, and 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 then we'll train him, and he can govern. And Daniel looks at this table and he says, "Not going to eat it. Who are you to tell us? You're not going to eat our food." We've conquered you. Your God let you be defeated. And you're obeying your God? You notice Daniel's response is, let's put up a test and we'll see. Brilliant response. But as you go through, it gets harder. Daniel chapter three is the golden statue. You gotta worship and bow down before it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't do it. Well, you're gonna be killed, still won't do it even to the point that they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, I'll, I believe when they, got into, when they were getting thrown into the furnace, they did not know that God would protect them. They said, we will die for our faith. And there's Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> I think it's funny because if that test was given to many of us, we'll say, okay, I won't pray out loud. I'll just pray really quietly myself. Daniel wouldn't do it. Don't tell me. Remember that government versus faith? Diverse? You have no authority in my spiritual life, is what Daniel was saying. I'll die for that. And again, God protected. What's interesting and is that as you move into the Gospels, people say, Well, nothing there, but actually there did. You've got to understand when Jesus was ministering, there was a power structure called the Sadducees. They are a uh, sanhedrin. They are made up of two groups: the Sadducees, who were very political, old-school religious guys, and then the Pharisees, the modern, liberal spiritual guys. And they were both spiritual leader and political leader. They made the rules. They would tell you on, that they would take the, 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 the laws in the Old Testament and then they'd make rules about rules about rules. So you would literally, um, you're to keep the Sabbath holy. Well, suddenly they decide how you do that by making more rules. And if you didn't keep those rules, you got punished. Jesus constantly ran into those rules. Jesus I know it took a miracle to heal that man, but you did it on the Sabbath. What do you think you're doing? You're working on the Sabbath. Jesus would refuse to know. In fact, several times. Then, then there was, on Luke chapter six, the disciples are on their way to synagogue. They're on their way to church, and 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 as they walk past a, a field, the grain is ripe and yellow and perfect. And, and these guys haven't had breakfast, so they kind of scoop their hand and, and then rub it and, and the, the seed, and they eat the seed, and the Pharisees are watching. And they rebuke Jesus for letting his disciples work on Sabbath. Now that's interesting. Because Jesus could have said, Boys, y- you know the rules. Stop eating the grain, would you? But he didn't. He challenged these laws. So so although the government has been established for us and, and they have these two areas of responsibility, the truth is that there are times as Christians that we must obey and must honor and must respect. There are other times that we cannot now, some of you are saying in your head, well, yeah, but we're talking about big things, like, like what about denying Jesus as Lord and Savior and rose from the dead and all, or, or denying the Trinity or, or the big things. Daniel refused to submit over lunch. Jesus refused to f- follow the petty rules of legalists. We're trying to manage everybody's life. So, how do we respond? Well, I'm going to take you to a place that may be uncomfortable for you because some of you have heard at this point people reflect on Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It's the very first of what Paul wrote about government. And he said, everyone must submit Himself to the governing authorities. And, and, and so most many Christians will take this and say, say, this is what it says, this is what we have to do. If our government dem- demands that we do this, then we do this. Well, what if the government's wrong? If the go- government demands we do this, then we do this. But look at the phrase again took a long time for me to kind of work through this. Peter has a parallel to this, similar. What's interesting is he uses this word, submit. Now, let me take you a little bit deeper. First of all, I want to suggest to you this is not a command. I think this is a principle. What's the difference? A command is, it's been given, you must do it. A principle is, Okay, we've been told this, Lord, how should I do it? It's more optional, and I'll explain that in just a sec. But here's what's interesting, as I'm going through, I don't know if you've done a lot of what we call hermeneutics, the breaking down of a passage and looking at, and 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 one of the things you do when you do hermeneutics is look at what's there and what's not there. Not once in Paul's writing, not once in Peter's writing, does he ever say, are we ever commanded to obey the government? That word obedience or obey is never used. You got to understand that's intentional. The word that is used is submit. But what's even more interesting about that word is when you go back to the Greek in both Paul and Peter, they use a different nor- a word for submit than what's normal. We're going to next week start talking about slavery and, 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 and employment and all of that. And, and Peter will use this word submit again and again and again. But whenever he uses it, he uses a different kind of submit. It's a military word, not a slave word. It's a, it's, it's a word, a, a Greek word that, that says you are the soldier Christ is your commander. When when He gives you an order, you submit or you choose to obey. You choose to obey. Paul, Peter, throughout his, his writing, will say again and again: "Live as free men. Do not use your freedom to ever cover up evil. Live as servants of God." So, so the implication of Peter is that that. That as you live in this world, as you are part of his ambassadors, you are free men and women of God. And you are called to choose to submit or not. Now, there's lots of things that we're called to do, submit or not. Alberta government has just come out with some new dri- dri- driving regulations. And when you're on the highway, you slow down to 60. And when you're passing, someone stopped on the side. All of those kind of... You submit. You do it. But look at the phrase Peter uses. You are free to choose, and here's the phrase, for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? To please your Lord and to represent your Lord to the, the Lord to others. Otherwise, situations are gonna come up and you have to seek the Lord and ask the Lord how you would respond. And it starts here, not here. Lord, what should I do in this situation? Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Paul, that's not what I wanted. I, I wanted a sermon on what exactly we should do and exactly we shouldn't do. Problem is, there's too many examples of that. There's too many options. There's too many issues. Some of it we have to work through and and wrestle with. But the first thing is, Lord, what would you have me do? Now, please understand, as this command is or this principle is given, Peter has lived this out. If, if, uh, if I took you to back to the book of Acts, there are at least three situations where Peter's confronted with this. In Acts 4, they, they arrest him, they bring him before this Sanhedrin, and, 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 and these judges are angry at them. And, and there's the hypocrisy that sometimes you see in politics. It's like, you guys are running around telling, telling the, the, the people that we killed Jesus. Why are you doing that? I'm sure Peter wanted to say, because you're dead. But they're trying to scapegoat. They're trying to, you know, it's someone else. It's it's not us. So then they look at Peter and, and John and say, do not, do not ever again preach in the name of Jesus. Peter's answer is, do you think that God wants us to obey you? Rather than him. Do you see that? I'm a citizen of heaven. Jesus is my king. I am a stranger. uh, An ambassador in this world. I answer to him first. Not to you. Chapter 5. They arrest him again. Throw him in jail. And... uh, Um, And and, and actually, we find that actually he was flogged. They took sticks and they pounded his back until he could probably hardly get up. All the disciples. And then they said, don't preach Jesus. So not only were they arrested, not only were they put in jail, they were were persecuted or flogged. And then says, here's the command, don't do it. (laughs) Peter answers again. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Human authority is exactly how Paul defines government. So there are times when you and I need to disobey. Later on, Peter would be uh, arrested again. Um, And probably the plan was to have him killed. Angel of the Lord releases him and he takes off. But Peter was willing to die for his faith in obedience to Jesus. My question as I've been working through this is okay, so I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I am part of the house of God here on this earth. Jesus is my cornerstone, Jesus is my king. Although I may live in this culture, I may be a physical citizen of this culture, my citizenship is in heaven and my obedience is to my King of kings and Lord of lords. There will be situations that will come and the government will say to me, do this and it's fine, so I'll do it. But there are other times that the government will order me and I will say, I don't know about that. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then there are times when we'll say, no way. Most of you have heard this story, but as the Christian church expanded in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was multi religion. Like you could have 37, you could be involved in 37 different religions and go to different temples every different day and all of that. But once a year, you had to go to the Roman temple, Caesar's temple. And you had to walk in and and you had to and there was a cauldron a hot burning cauldron and and what you had to do is go and there would be a bowl of incense you had to take just a pinch of incense walk up to that cauldron and drop the incense in and the smoke would go and then you would say Jesus or Caesar is lord now you recognize already that the testimony of the Christian is Jesus is lord there are Christians, many, many, many Christians in that day who went to the Colosseum and died for their faith horribly rather than a pinch of incense. Every time I think of that story, I keep thinking of a, uh, but Lord, Lord, how many times have I compromised that little bit rather than kept the faith now this all this information led me to the question peter what's your point like why are you writing about government like why is this so important to you like what's your real focus of this is is it about obedience is it about submission is it about uh, my citizenship what what is it about and peter and paul actually don't leave us in the dark in peter He starts to speak to us about abstaining from sinful desires. He says, you're going to be in this world and it's going to tempt you and it's going to draw you into doing things that are unrighteous and God says not to do. And as a citizen of heaven, you shouldn't do. And and Peter says this, and the enemies of the church are going to be watching you. They're going to be watching what you do And what you say and how you do it and all of those things. They are looking for reasons to accuse you of hypocrisy. Yeah, he says he's a Christian. She says she's a Christian, but not really. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, live such a life that that when Jesus comes again, These critics will praise you and I and and give glory to God. Yes, they were obedient to Jesus, their king, the whole time. That your lifestyle will silence the ignorant talk of foolish men and that you will be identified as living as a servant of God. That puts us in a place of wrestling. You see, there are laws that you and I can obey. Probably most of them. They're good laws, they're logical laws, they make sense, and they don't cause me to question my faith. But there are laws being brought into our land and into our culture and into our place that violate our faith. Peter's saying there are sinful patterns you cannot do because you're being watched. But there are also things that you need to stand against so that they will know that you are holy. Remember, Peter's the one who said, be holy for my God is holy. So that's Peter's concern. Paul's is similar but slightly different. Paul repeatedly in, in Romans chapter 13 says again and again and again, love one another, love your neighbor. Love does not harm your neighbor. Therefore, love the, fulfills the law. And, 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 and then he ends with Romans chapter 13, 14. He says, clothe yourself. Remember that, putting on the coat, taking off a sinful coat, putting on a godly coat. Clothe yourself in, with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this culture, in this world, with its laws and its regulations and its governors and all of that, what you need to do is treat one another with love, but a holy love, a Christ-like love. I need you, he says, to live a life that reflects me. As you watch Jesus, he would tell the truth, he would tell it in love, he would tell it straight, He would tell it with compassion. Rich young ruler comes and says, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Jesus looks at him and realizes he is totally bound by greed and money and wealth. And Jesus says, give everything away and come and follow me. And the boy went away sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus, in love, spoke truth. And so, Paul is saying this to you. Peter's saying, I want you to live a holy life that's beyond attack. And Paul is saying, I want you to live a holy life that expresses the love of Jesus. Now, This doesn't answer maybe lots of your questions, but I want to give you a couple just comments that I've been wrestling with, and I probably could have given you 400 comments, but let me give you about five comments about this issue because I think we need to mention it. The the first is that one of the things Peter's getting across is that you are a citizen of heaven and that your calling first is to serve your king Your calling first is to serve your king. There's going to be other rulers, there's going to be other governors, there's going to be other magistrates that are going to want you to obey them. But if it stands in defiance of him, you don't do it. I think one of the things that Peter's given us is this sense of of, where our home is, and where our identity is, and where our citizenship is, and where our family is, and where our king is. But on the other hand, he says, I want you to treat authorities with respect. A couple of years after I graduated from college, one of the guys who was a couple of years ahead of me um, was in Calgary. Um, and those were the days of abortion clinics being built all over the place. Those were the days when a, an individual called Morgenthaler uh, was going around building those. And he, he, he was loved by, by the left and hated by the right and all of that. But one of these individuals I went to college with heard Morgenthaler was flying into Calgary Airport and that, that, that he would be walking through the airport and so he planned his strategy really clearly. And, and when Morgenthaler was walking through and the reporters were around, he ran up with a bottle of ketchup and sprayed ketchup all over Morgenthaler, just dripping. And it was a statement about abortion, it was a statement about blood, it was a spat- all, all of those things. But I was embarrassed as a Christian. this young man and I have the same values. I believe in life. But are we treating our leadership with respect? I think that's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for me. I think it's a challenge for many of us. Respect and honor. You don't have to agree with, you don't, don't have to obey, but you have to treat them respectfully. The third one is more an observation I've been journeying through myself. I'm a person who believes strongly in fairness. I believe in justice, I believe in right and wrong. I, I, I wanna see how that person who's done such wrong is brought to justice and publicly humiliated and, 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 and sin-named and all of that stuff. And I've come to the understanding I won't see that. You ever heard a politician Apologize? Listen to our federal people. I have to come to the place that justice is not in my lap. It's in God's. In your sermon notes, if you have them, there's a passage that I've written down that justice is the Lord's. I have to give that up. I have to speak truth. I have to stand against wrong. But when it comes to the ultimate judgment, they will stand before God. They will. And there will be a great white throne and everything they've done, both in public and in secret, will be exposed. And they will be judged for that. And I have to place my desires aside and let God be in charge next thing is I want to suggest to you is that we need to be ambassadors I think we need that mindset I think that's what Peter's talking about I represent Christ here in this world I love my country I'm a citizen all of those things but I'm a citizen in heaven first my king is Jesus and the question is in the political realm, how do I represent him? Now, there's some words we could study. I could talk to you about light. I could talk to you about salt. But here's what I want to suggest to you, and someone like this. I don't think we have the option anymore as Christians to be silent. I do not believe that anymore. I think there's so much rot and there's so much... Sin and there's the the ideologies are flying all over, ludicrous ideologies, and all of those are being stacked together and will come against the church. I need to speak now. Are you? And the last is a phrase that comes out of Scripture. Jesus said it. He said, "Render unto Caesar what Caesar's." and unto God what is God's. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I am part of this embassy called the house of God. My leader, my king, is the rock, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And in this world, I represent him. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm related to the family. And I've been given position and power to represent him and to speak for him. Am I? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a heavy one. You know how much I've wrestled with this. I'd really like to give us black and white answers and I'd really like to tell us exactly how we should live. But life comes upon us and we as a people need to recognize who's the king of kings and who in this little area or that little place has been given responsibility of leadership. Help us to respect those people where where we can to treat them with honor, but also help us to recognize that we are citizens of heaven, called, called to stand and represent our King. I ask this in Jesus' name.